1 Kings chapter 19, if you want to turn there with me. I want to share a thought with you that I got a few days ago. Um, and actually, after I looked, was the Lord, I gave me the thought. And then I started Googling things. I was like, oh, that's pretty common, I guess. Uh, I thought it was unique and it was new and fresh. But <laughs> no, it's uh, not a unique thought to me, but it did speak to my heart. And I think it's appropriate uh, with where our church is at. Uh, we say we want God to do something. But do we? And so this morning we're going to talk about burn the instruments. Burn the instruments. First Kings 19. Are you fully executing all that is intended for you as a child of God? Or are you wasting away in double-mindedness, inactivity, apathy? Or maybe you're just simply a, a friend of the world the enemy of God. But this morning, I want to encourage you to burn the instruments of distraction and fully commit to following the Lord with your life. A preacher, an unknown preacher said this, Most believers are in imminent danger of ruining their lives. They're facing a danger that is far greater, wasting them. 1 Kings 19, we're going to read verses 19 down to the end of the chapter. And we'll see what the Lord has for us this morning. And this is Elijah here. Before we read, let me give you a little background. In verse 19, the beginning of the part, it's after he had defeated the prophets of Baal. And he's despondent. He's discouraged. He asks God to take his life. And of course, we know God chooses not to do such a thing and and, uh, but he gives him some direction. I mean, he sends an angel to minister to him and to, to feed him and to, to provide a cruise of water and those things. And, and then he gives him some direction. And we pick it up here in verse 19. After he's gotten the direction from the Lord and, and really a refreshing, if you will. In verse 9 it reads, or verse 19, excuse me. So he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he with the twelfth. And Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back again for what I have done to thee. Verse 21, And he returned back from him, And took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh. And here it is, with the instruments of the oxen. And gave unto the people and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for this passage. And Lord, we thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord, that each one would be faithful to be attentive. Lord, I pray that your word would... Go forth with liberty. And Lord, that you do work in each and every heart. I pray that we would not waste the time that we have here today. Lord, we know there's a lot going on and much to be done in the coming week. But we pray, Lord, that you'd help us to set aside those distractions and to focus on your word. And we pray, Lord, that you just meet with us in a special way. Draw each one near to yourself. And we'll give you the thanks and the glory for all of it. In Jesus' name, amen. 
If you're visiting with us, I'd like to encourage you to come back at another time. I know our pastor, Pastor Brooks, would love to meet you. And uh, you'll get two things. He'll have the opportunity to meet you, and you'll get better preaching. (laughs) So uh, if you're visiting with us, uh, I'm just the fill-in. So take it for what it's worth. Elisha's call. So we see here in verse 19 that the phrase, and cast his mantle upon him. Elijah enlists the help of Elisha into the ministry here, and it's a unique way to be called into the ministry, I would say. Uh, throwing your garment at somebody, I, I didn't, that didn't happen to me. Um, uh, if you got some free clothes that would fit, I'll take them, but... Uh, but there is no indication in Scripture that there's any words exchanged in this transaction. Elijah doesn't say anything to Elisha. Uh, none of that's recorded in Scripture. And, uh, so how does he know? By just the casting of this garment, this mantle upon him. How does he know that's the call of God on his life to follow and minister to the man of God? Nobody has an answer. Okay, well, I'll, I'll share some thoughts with you. Uh, my assessment is the Lord had revealed it to him. In some way, shape, or fashion, the Scripture does not tell us that. Um, but I think that that may be the case. Uh, we do have an example in Numbers. Uh, it records the transfer of responsibility between Aaron and Eleazar. I don't know if you remember that transaction that takes place there. And uh, Moses is told to take Aaron and, and Eleazar up and to strip the garments from Aaron, and then to put them on to Eleazar. Uh, that's Numbers chapter 20, verses 25 through 28. If you'd like to look at that some other time, we're not going to take the time to go there this morning. Uh, so perhaps we see there some form of inauguration of a successor, where sometimes this included the symbolic transfer of these garments. Um, and perhaps Elijah, Elisha was familiar with this. Um, so I, I didn't see anything in Scripture myself, so I Uh, resorted to some commentaries, and they didn't provide much insight on the specific transaction taking place. Uh, But what I will tell you is it's widely accepted that the mantle had become a symbol of the office of the prophet. Um, And so Elisha was probably familiar with this idea. And so when that mantle was cast upon him, uh, at some point he understood what was taking place there. And again, I believe there was an urging of God in his life at some point. I know that's how God worked in my life. Um, I did not say, you know what, I'm going to be a preacher. Uh, But through circumstances and the the Holy Spirit moving in my life, God slowly brought me to a place where, hey, dipstick, I'm trying to work in your life. Uh, You know, here's a mantle. I want you to take this up. And um, so, but in any case, what I would say is we do know that it was ordained of God. Look at verse 16. We didn't read that. And this is where uh, the Lord is giving... Well, go up to verse 15, uh, just so uh, we get a little bit of context. We'll read verses 15 and 16. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abimeloah, I practice that, oh well, Shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room? And so this was ordained of God. 
This wasn't just Elijah out for a Sunday stroll, just, oh, hey, there's a youngster. And, you know, he's, this was ordained of God. And so Elijah's call came from heaven. God had called him into the ministry, and he used Elijah in the casting of the mantle as the tool to get his attention because he was busy. He was working. We know he was plowing there. And it says, so this call was ordained of God. And um, <clears throat> when the call of God comes on your life, don't question it. Ralph Dave, Dale Ralph Davis says this in regards to the call here on Elisha's life. It says, the call may be sudden, but that does not mean it is unplanned. As though the kingdom of God were a seat of the pants operation, bumping along from one nervous synapse to another, Yahweh has disclosed his decision to Elijah at Horeb. In verse 16, we saw that. So what appeared sudden to Elisha was already settled with God. God had decided all this even before Elisha was given the opportunity of deciding. And so this morning he says this, Suddenness is the wrapping paper in which sovereignty sometimes arrives. Listen this morning, when God puts a call on your life, it may seem sudden and spontaneous and quick. But if that call is from God, he's thought about it. It's not the first he's known of it. Maybe the individual that's receiving that call might feel that way. And maybe I'll capture some of that as we look at what Elisha's response was here. I'm sure at times you've experienced God's moving to be rapid and unexpected. I know I have. The DeGarmos came to South Dakota rapidly. We still had 18 more months to do in Japan. And we were here 18 months before we would have finished our tour there. God changed it in a heartbeat. Uh, so God's moving can often be very rapid and unexpected. And uh, sometimes it's slow and maybe more predictable. Sometimes we just, the Lord's slowly working and He's doing things and we can feel uh, the churning of what's taking place. Uh, listen, the issue is only that we like to have it our way. And when God does it differently than what we would like, we're surprised and we, don't, we feel uncomfortable. We don't like that. So this morning, how we need to be walking in the Spirit to know when God's moving. We need to be in connection with our God, in fellowship with our God. I think that was the case in Elijah's life. Again, the Scripture is not explicit on that matter. But I think he understood who Elijah was. And that call that was placed upon him and the demands that would be there. And so this morning, likewise in Christ, we all have a call on our lives. Elisha was called in Christ today at a minimum. At a bare minimum, you're called out of a life of sin and into the ministry of reconciliation. Bare minimum. Uh, we don't even need to talk about full-time service or commitment or or whatever all that means, at a minimum, we have that call in our life. And so what I want to encourage you this morning, one of the ways I want to encourage you is, don't stand around waiting for a specific call on your life. Don't stand around for somebody to come drop a mantle in your lap, or for God to do some miraculous thing 
get busy about what you're already called to do. Deal with the sin in your life, get rid of it, and get busy about the ministry of reconciliation. Start sharing what God has done in your life. And I promise you, if you're faithful to do that, God will work and He will reveal further will, if you will. I didn't even plan that. It's really not that good, so... Listen, we're called to be ambassadors for Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself and not imputing their trespasses unto them. And hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Listen to me this morning. You have a calling of God on your life. In Christ, the believer this morning has a call of God on your life. And I'm here to tell you that call is no less significant than the call of a pastor, the call of a missionary, the call of any other thing that we would consider full-time ministry. Your calling is just as severe and significant as theirs. Embrace that calling. In Christ, you have a responsibility to share Christ with others. God has called you into the ministry. Are you executing your ministry? Listen, God may be calling some people into a specific ministry. Full time, as we would say. Maybe otherwise. But listen, I think for most of you this morning, uh, we just need to simply commit our current situation and God where God currently has us for Him to use and for His pleasure. Whatever that is for you this morning whether that is full-time ministry or whether that is a secular job. Maybe that's your home. Uh, Commit yourself to doing what God would have for you to do in those areas of your life. I believe Scripture is very clear that each believer is a priest of God. I think you can see that in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. And listen, and in some sense, called to full-time service to represent the Lord even in their secular jobs. You're called. You can't deny it. I think a lot of Christians excuse themselves from sharing the gospel or being the witness that they ought to do or that they ought to be because, well, I'm not in the ministry. Oh, yes, you are. You're responsible for those that you come in contact with. And I believe you'll be held accountable for that. As believers, we are the representatives of God. Called to the ministry according to the gifts that he's given us. Some of y'all are very gifted. Instruments and music and all these other things, maybe mechanically inclined, those kind of things. All of those gifts that you've been given have been given to you that you might further the gospel. And I'm going to say it over and over this morning, you do not have to get a full-time paycheck from the church 
to be in the ministry. Uh, there was a man, and uh, he attended Lancaster Baptist Church. Uh, this was years ago when we were stationed in Nevada, and he, would, he had a business that he would travel. I think he did some type of delivery things, and uh, Brother Bishop was his name, and he would travel. And he was known for just being a soul winner. Just everywhere he went, and everybody that he was in contact with, he would share the gospel. And people couldn't believe how many people that he would lead to the Lord or had an opportunity to plant the seed and witness to. He wasn't full-time service. He was just being obedient to what God had called him to do. Everywhere he went, he had tracks, he was prepared and ready to share what God had done in his life with everyone else. Don't overcomplicate this, folks. It's that simple. But are you obedient? Are you doing that? Are you being obedient to the call of God's, uh, the call of God on your life? Listen, this happens in the workplace. May happen in your home. Certainly, it should happen here at the church. We ought to be sharing the gospel here at the church and, and encouraging those. We should be reaching our neighbors. Listen, we all have spiritual gifts, and it's our responsibility to represent heaven with them. At least a portion of the mantle of God's call on your life would be those gifts and things that you've received. There's a call on your life. Whether you understood that prior to this morning or not, based on the authority of God's word, I'm telling you this morning, there's a call on your life to minister. Have you accepted the call? Let's look at Elijah's response to the call on his life. Or Elisha's, sorry. If I mix those up, you know, Elijah's first, Elisha's next, right? So if I, I mix up these words here, uh, I'm not a buffoon. I do understand what took place here. but You get up here and talk in front of people. It's harder than it looks. So Elisha's counter, or Elisha's response. So we had his call, now we have his counter, or his response. And listen, it says he immediately responded to the call. Verse 20, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah. I said immediate, but that in my mind indicates there was a little bit of hesitation. The Bible's not clear on this, but if you have to run after somebody, that indicates in my mind, when I, when I try to picture this as I read it, that there was a little space in between there. And, and so maybe it took a while for him to understand what exactly was taking place there. Um, but Elijah is passing by. Um, I am assuming there was a path going by this farmer's field. And he probably has to direct his way away from this because he's plowing with oxen. So Elijah probably diverted his path out into the field at least a little ways, throws this mantle on Elisha, and then continues on his way. No words are spoken. He just carries on. And then it says that at some point Elisha realized what's taking place here. Again, when we talk about casting that mantle and that call, uh, to me it indicates there was a few moments at least of What's this crazy guy giving me his clothes for? I, I don't know what his thoughts were. But at some point, and it clicks in his head, and I go back to, I believe the Lord had revealed this to him. 
God had been working. God had told Elijah where to go. I, I believe he was working on the other end of this thing. Uh, I don't think it was a surprise to Elisha entirely. But in whatever the case is, his response is he runs after the prophet of God. He identifies that God, through Elijah, is calling me into service. And so he runs after him. No hesitation, really. No delay. Listen, God desires immediate obedience. As parents, we want immediate obedience, right? I know I did. Uh, and I, I know Mrs. DeCarmo did. <clears throat> Ask my boys. They can give you some stories. Colin thinks he was abused. But, um, <laughs> we demand obedience from our children. Yet how often do we delay when God calls us? How dare we demand something from somebody else that we're not willing to do for God? God deserves immediate obedience. I'll tell you this, I didn't always deserve it as a parent. I made mistakes, I failed, I was in the flesh at times. Yet I still demanded it. God deserves it. He deserves your immediate obedience. I know you guys have heard the phrase, delayed obedience is disobedience. Listen, I, I'm not saying don't demand it from your kids. You definitely need to because I believe it will help them when they start responding to the call of God on their life. So continue to do that. Demand that because they will get used to immediately responding when God calls. So when God works in their heart and says, hey, deal with this, deal with that, or come follow me, they'll say, yes, Lord. And they will run after the call. I believe that's a good thing to, to teach our children. Listen, sometimes the Lord sends the still small voice. We didn't look at it, but if you go back and, and the Lord sends the still small voice to Elijah there in chapter 19, uh, sometimes the Lord uses the obnoxious loud preacher. Whatever the case may be, you need to be obedient to the call of the Lord in your life. When he calls you to be closer to himself or into his work, do not delay. Run after the Lord as Elisha did after the call on his life. Run after it. Malcolm McLeod says this, the idea is that Elisha was accountable to God for what he did, not to Elijah. I think Elisha understood that. This wasn't just some crazy old preacher coming to me saying, come join me in the ministry. I think Elisha understood that this was a call of God on his life. What Elijah had done was express God's call. Elijah would become Elisha's spiritual leader and mentor, but Elisha must understand that ultimately he was accountable to God, not man. Listen this morning, you have a call of God on your life and you have a responsibility to respond to God. Run after that like Elijah or Elisha did. Your call is from the Almighty God. Listen, young people, it's not from your parents. Young people, old people alike, it's not from your pastor. It's not from your mentor, some great spiritual leader that you know, or any other person on this earth. As encouraging, as exciteful as those people can be, we must never forget the call for service. Whatever the capacity is, that call is from heaven. That call is from God Almighty Himself. And we ought to respond so.
immediate obedience to the call of God on your life. Listen, God uses Elijah here. Listen, God may use your parents. He may use your pastor. But don't ever forget that it's from God. God's calling you into this. Elisha, I believe, understanding uh, this truth, then he commits completely. Elisha's commitment. Look at verse 21 with me. I think understanding this call of God and Elisha's response here, uh, he goes all in. He's fully committed. Verse 21 says, And he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them. And here it is. It says, Boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen. They gave unto the people and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto them. Listen, Elisha didn't go back and prepare the meat for travel. He didn't go back and sell his equipment to have money for the journey. Listen, I would have went and made a bunch of jerky. That travels well, right? A couple of oxen, that's a lot of jerky. That's not what he does. He slaughters them. He doesn't sell his equipment so he can fund this calling on his life. No, he sacrificed it all for the sake of the call. He unreservedly committed to the call and the provisions of God on his life. Unreservedly. He took the instruments of his life, of his livelihood, and used those instruments to cook his farewell feast. What a thought. He burned everything we have. There's another example of uh, when David was uh, going to make the sacrifice and oh, I can't remember the name of the, the guy that was going to give him uh, the, the oxen and the threshing floor and all that. I, and uh, he said, Here, here's all the tools of the threshing floor and the plows, these instruments that you can use for wood. Listen, these folks are all in. Everything. And burned it to say goodbye to his family so he could unreservedly answer the call of God on his life. Elisha ensured there would be nothing to look back to that would draw him away from his calling. He used the instruments of his livelihood to cook the meat for that farewell dinner. He left nothing to return to. He gave up his wealth. When you think of the story and you think of 12 yoke of oxen and and he led the team of two there, uh, that was a pretty wealthy situation. Uh, in those days, to have 12 oxen, uh, they were doing well. Uh, their family was, was, was well off, I would say. So he gives up his wealth. He gives up the security of everything that he knows. He gives up his job. He leaves his family, uh, likely his dreams and his plans to follow the call of God on his life. Are you that committed to the call of God on your life today? That everything, and I'm not saying go burn your car today. That'd be foolish because you're not going to cook anything with that anyway. But um, I'm not saying go burn everything that you have. But what I'm saying is, are those possessions that you have solely there for the use of accomplishing your call? Elisha wasn't going to need these, this plow any longer. He was leaving the field and going out to the ministry, if you will. 
He didn't need that, but all that we own ought to be dedicated fully to him. And here's the verse that really led me to this, this message, Luke 9, verse 62, and it says, And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Elisha ensured that there would be nothing behind him that would distract him from taking up the handles of the ministry and carrying on with what God had called him to do. He burned it all. He got rid of it. Dale Davis said about this here, it says, Sometimes Elijah has received less than favorable reviews because people allow Luke 9, 61 and 62 to color their reading of our passage. Because of the similar trappings and colors of the two texts, <clears throat> excuse me, one wonders if the interpreters don't view the volunteer of Luke 61 and 62 as Elisha's alter ego and therefore impute Elisha as inferior or having an inferior commitment. The fellow in Luke 9 is far different from Elisha. Jesus' comment in verse 62 that we just read pictures one who has taken up the task to plow only to be continually looking back. That is, he's divided in mind. He's unstable. He's double-minded. Luke 61 only has a formal similarity to 1 Kings 19.20. In Luke 9, saying goodbye is an obstacle to kingdom commitment. Whereas in 1 Kings 19, it functions as the entry into kingdom service. Elisha goes back to sever his connections, not to delay his commitment. He does not return to hold back, but to cut loose. Listen this morning, are you cut loose from everything in this life that's preventing you from following the call of God in your life? Are you unreservedly following God's leadership in your life? Elisha ensured that he would not be entangled with the affairs of this life. 2 Timothy 2.4 No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Again, you have a call. You've been chosen. God has something for you to do. Are you entangled? Is the plow still in the shed? Do you need to pull it out? Throw some gasoline on it and burn it? And deal with those things? Listen, Elisha went on to accomplish some wonderful things for God. Uh, time would not permit for us to look at all that he did. But here's a few things, and I'm sure you'll remember these. You guys remember the youngsters that were mauled by the bears? Yeah? I mean, he asked for God's help, and God dealt with those youngsters. And so, listen, I don't care if you're young or old. You better be careful about accusing and, and heckling the man of God. It's serious business, right, Breck? The Moabites were defeated. They're routed. They're, so the bears were in 2 Kings 2, verses 23 through 25. The Moabites are defeated in 2 Kings 3, 16 through 27. Uh, do you guys remember the oil being multiplied to pay the debt of the widow? Her husband passed away, 2 Kings 4, 1 through 7. The Shunammite son is promised. He dies. She's devastated. Why'd you promise? I told you not to, uh, 
to give me this headache. She goes back to him and says, and, and what happens? Uh, the Shunammite son is resurrected, 2 Kings 4, 8 through 37. Remember the poisonous stew, if you will? That food there, it's all gathered up and they didn't know what was in there and all of a sudden they start eating it and they're getting sick and they, they cast the, the meal in there and, it, and it's safe. And then the grain is multiplied uh, to feed at least 100 men in, in 2 Kings 4, 42 and 44. And then the very famous Naaman's leprosy was cleansed. And this one's pretty amazing to me, the axe head floating, 2 Kings chapter 6, 1 through 7. I've worked with a lot of metal in my life. It doesn't float. <laughs> Listen this morning, what wonderful things does God have planned for you? What miracles does God want to accomplish in your life? If you would just burn the instruments and commit to following Him wholeheartedly. I don't believe Elisha ever regretted his commitment. I don't think he will either. But how often every day, every week we come to sit here and, and, and the preacher gets up and he preaches the word and the Holy Spirit pricks our heart and calls us to do something. Or you're out and about at work, in the community, Share Christ with this person. But we're holding on to a plow somewhere that's distracting us from being obedient to the call. Listen this morning, you won't regret it. God can do amazing things through you. Don't compare yourself with the person next to you. Well, I don't have that many gifts. I'm not that talented. Listen, all of you are more talented than me. Ask my boys. I used to teach them how to ride, right? I'm all bad and I can ride fast and all this stuff. They're all out riding me now, like the old guy that can't even do a hill climb anymore. But <laughs> Listen, you just need to make yourself available to God and allow Him to take care of the rest. I'm afraid we begin comparing ourselves. Well, I don't know what that's going to... It's really not that much. I can't do what brother or sister or whatever is doing. I believe for the individual that answers the call of God in their life wholeheartedly, however small the task, however menial we think that is here on this earth, will be rewarded abundantly. In heaven. Listen, God knows your abilities. God knows your talents. God knows we are capabilities. And if you would just be obedient to Him, you will not be ashamed of your reward when it's all said and done. And I think we'll find that those people that have been out in the front and they seem to be able to do everything and they get there, their reward stack might not be quite as high as the other. They were gifted. It was easy for them, but maybe they weren't wholeheartedly committed, but outwardly. So don't compare yourself with other people. Maybe you're not in Christ this morning. God has a call for you. If you are without Christ today, God is calling you to salvation in Christ. He is calling you to completely commit to Him and Him alone for salvation. The Word of God tells us you're a sinner.
For all have sinned. Death is the payment for sin. The lake of fire for eternity. We call it hell. For the wages of sin is death. But the good news is Christ paid your debt. He died for you. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Listen, He was crucified, He shed His blood, He died, and He was buried. And praise God, He rose again with the power to save the lost. If you would just look to Him and Him alone for salvation today. I don't care your situation this morning, there's a call on your life. Whether you're without Christ or in Christ. You can turn to Him today and believe on Him. As long as our new life, or listen, I'm done. I think our churches are missing out. We have new life in Christ. We have the answers. We have eternal life. But as long as our lives are tethered to our past lives, we're never going to fully experience the abundant life. We're never going to fully experience the power and the wonder of God in our lives. This morning, I don't know if you need to come to the altar to respond to God's call in your life. And then maybe you need to go home and burn the instruments of distraction. Maybe there's some things that are holding you back from unreservedly following God. Or maybe you're without Christ this morning and you just need to come forward for salvation. Listen this morning, the altar's open. Whatever your need, let's pray.